Welcome back to another edition of the Return the Picks podcast, where once again we're trying to make some moolah off watching the NFL. And once again, as we have done every week so far in the first 12 weeks of the season, myself, Ollie Wilson, Jav G- Jazz Gillum, and Dave Luck, Jav Gillum, it's almost a shout out Different. to Jav, uh, slightly <laughs> almost, odd, yeah. um, have failed to make any money whatsoever this week, Jazzy. Came uh, close. How close? The Raiders banged me. Which is, in fairness, that game was not close, but the uh, the bet was far closer than I've been for weeks. Yeah, I mean, a return to form finally after a pretty shoddy season so far with your with your selection. I mean, I started out well. I did per- terrible and probably from week five onwards, and last week was a return to some sort of hope. But it's the hope that kills you. Yeah, I mean, it, there was bang average at the beginning with two very good weeks thrown in the mixer, and then it hit a cliff and fell off. Yep. And now he's back with a bang and got banged, as you say, by the Raiders. The Panthers and the Dolphins bets coming through. The Titans, the Texans, and the Washington-Dallas accumulative score uh, bets all came through for Jazz. But the Raiders at minus three, not so much. In Who could see that that Falcons performance coming out, especially after the Chiefs played so... Well, the Raiders played so well against the Chiefs, sorry, the week before. You think the Raiders are a team on the up, and no, they just got destroyed. Well, isn't it the thing that we keep saying every single week? Like there are some teams that are impossible to put a number on this year in terms of how yeah. they're going to play week to week. One minute they can be fantastic, the next week they can be an absolute disaster, as proved by one of the two that didn't come through for me last week, the Rams. Who, Another team that we've been talking about a lot of who you just can't put your finger on them. What are they? The <laughs> LA Rams. Who knows? Like it's such a Jekyll and Hyde team. The week before they blow up when you bet against them because you're expecting them to, you know, perhaps not do great. And then the week you bet on them, they completely capitulate and fall apart and get absolutely slammed all over by a still relatively depleted San Francisco 49ers team. So uh, It's but, like the anti-Dennis Green rant, isn't it? Of the Chicago Bears are exactly who we thought they were. Mm. Who knows who the Rams are? Well, I'm sure we'll find out by the end of the season if we ever get a season to finish. There's still a few more rumours about the season might end up being suspended somebody i saw a news headline oh really well it was like if um if anybody from the steelers contracts covid from the ravens game yeah then the season is basically kaput at that point apparently right due to the knock-on in schedules and stuff which is quite a worrying thing as we wait for sunday's games to go through and obviously that steelers ravens game was only a day ago so i'm sure there's been some testing today and i'm sure Everybody at the NFL is frantically trying to cover up some positive tests, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, but thankfully... They would never do cover-up of health concerns, would they? No, that's not in No, their... they're, they're an arbiter of making sure players are safe. Not in their arbiter remit of it. whatsoever. The Rams bang yeah. me, the Chargers bang me, because the Chargers, I love them like and I hate charge. them. Yeah. They are just... They're, <laughs> they're the best and worst team to watch. Uh, we dived into both of... Uh, well, a bit of the Rams, certainly a fair bit of the Chargers today in terms of uh, game mismanagement on the podcast. We spoke about yep. mismanagement in general and this new kind of exciting idea of going for it on fourth down being the new normal. If we're talking about new normals and keeping, you know, let's keep the COVID vocab Too still topical, going. right? Yeah, Too yeah, topical. definitely. Um, what else we talk about? We talked about the Saints, obviously, because... Uh, former New Orleans Saint and Super Bowl winner and former LSU Tiger, of course. Marlon Favourite also joined us on the podcast. Let's not tell you what was in it. Just sit down, sit back and enjoy the lesson. Enjoy. Over the middle, picked off! Sees it, fired, intercepted! 
Blitz coming. Pass is picked off. He's going to go looking again, and it's picked off by Stephon Gilmore. Down on the right sideline. Into the end zone, and he's picked off. Back the other way. Um, Marlon, man, let's uh, let's dive straight into some football talk. And you've already said that you want to get LSU off your chest. So let's just get this out because I have to say my college football knowledge is nowhere near what it should be really, particularly this year because of all the stop starts with the SEC, yeah. the Pac-12 and everything like that. It doesn't feel like you can really dig your teeth into college football. I know you're doing the LSU pregame and postgame shows on the radio, which is pretty sweet down there. And uh, it's not going too well. <laughs> it's, not, it's not. It's literally last year was a bubble a big old bubble in that bubble popped in and that's a result of what we have going on now. So what's, so you have the sec. We started sep- the weekend of September 26th, um, the American conference and like the Ohio Valley conference and all those different conferences, they had started like two weeks prior. So like Austin PA and schools like Tulane and stuff like that has started before us. And then, Justin Fields and Ohio State and all the rest of those Big Ten schools out there was like, oh, no, you don't. We jumping in this conversation, too. So then they joined the party for a short season. So I can imagine you guys is um, debaculation over there, if that's even a word, of how yeah. college football is actually going because it's even confusing to us here in the States. Cause I, I, for a while, was juggling, like, how the bowl game system going to work. And it's like, okay, everybody's going to get a bowl game. But I'm like – you sure we're going to get one? Because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but but in all actuality, um, it's still it's still fun. It's still interesting. It's just, you know, living in a, in a, in a world of the coronavirus and college sports is much different. So it, it, it really makes me appreciate last year. How yeah, much- it does. Like 2019 is probably in my lifetime one of the more appreciated years, particularly in my career. In terms of like uh, how the college teams are dealing with it, you're obviously very close to, to LSU, both working with the pre-game and post-game radio, and also, I imagine, um, and then correct me if I'm wrong, but quite close still to like people around the team, involved heavily with the team. What What is it like for the guys kind of in the thick of it dealing with the team at the moment? Because the COVID situation is so tremendously evolving anyway for everybody. But then when you're trying to organise practices, games, schedules, keeping the kids safe and away from any sort of COVID implications, but they're at college. You don't want to completely deny, you know, their growing up period and what is meant to be one of the best times of their lives. You know, it must be an absolute nightmare for them. How is it all being coped with? It, it is somewhat of a nightmare, but they're adapting and adjusting to everything that's going on um, in regards to the, the Corona and the scheduling. Of course, the, when it first started, like they were getting, they were testing the kids like every, like every three days. Mm. Like they were getting t- three mm-hmm. tests a week, and and it was, for at first, you know, that was when this was the swabbing deal was kind of like a yeah. So you know, <laughs> the kids really yeah. jumped, <laughs> and, and it was just protocol and to deal with. Okay, take a team like Alabama, right? Alabama is already in a position. Alabama is already in a position where um, where they have heavy rotation of players. Mm. Yeah, LSU lost 
13, 14 guys to the draft. I mean, you look at the NFL right now, Justin uh, Jefferson. You look at um, Joe Burrow before he got hurt. Clyde Edwards, like he's about to run to a Super Bowl. Like, you look at what left the team. You got Lord Cushenberry starting for the for the uh, Denver Broncos. I mean, the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. You 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 look at that and like, man, we lost a lot of people. I can I can think back to my freshman year at LSU. They had just won a national championship in 2003. And 2004, we lost to Georgia. We lost to Florida that – no, excuse me. We beat Florida that year. We lost to Georgia. We lost to, to – uh, I'm missing Auburn that year. And then we lost to uh, Iowa. So that was three teams we lost to that year. What Coach Saban's last year, by the way, he said he's going to the NFL. So we had to rebuild with Coach Miles, and then we have all these recruits, all these good players, and then boom, that's 20, uh, 2007. Yeah. We win it again. It's my, like, junior year. <laughs> Redshirt junior year. So, yeah, yeah. And then my senior was... <laughs> yeah. That year we lost to Arben. We lo- No, sorry, we beat Arben that year, but we lost to Florida. We lost to Arkansas. We lost to Ole Miss. We lost to... Uh, Georgia and we lost to Alabama that year. We lost we lost five games that year. Just Dang. ugly, right? Just yeah. you know, we went to like the Peace Bowl. We won that, you know, and like my draft stock dropped. So, you know, I'm like a second round coming out of the national championship to undrafted free agent to Carolina, which was a blessing. You know, you, you live your dream, but yeah, it hurt the stock. So now you have the greatest football team of all time, Jazz. You feel me? Ali. Yeah. All time, and then you lose everybody. Plus, those teams don't really have cons- see. I the 03, I mean, 04 and 017, we had offense and defensive lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This team has developing O lines and D lines. Plus, you got a developing quarterback. Oh, by the way, there's this thing called opting out that happens, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Jamar Chase opts out. Uh, Terrence Marshall just this past few days ago, he opted out like. Right into the season, right for Alabama, oh, wow. he opts out. Right, you get uh, probably the more athletic wiggle room D tackles up front, and Tyler Shelvin opting out. Yeah. Plus, Kerry Vinson, your safety over the top, the only guy who got the experience. Well, we've been getting torched over the top. He opts out. Yeah. So that that's LSU twenty twenty. Does that does that? <laughs> it's a tough of, season though, isn't it? Yeah. That opting out does that have a knock on their draft? status potentially going forward because NFL teams might look at that and be like hey when the going gets tough the tough just opted out of the season before taking on Alabama in a in a really tough situation because I imagine a lot of the opt-outs are to do for well I need to preserve the stock that I've got by not playing and being dragged down by this you know, losing LSU team. Not, I don't want to be too brutal, Marlon, because I fear you. Basically, you're, oh, you're yeah, much yeah. bigger than me. Oh, so. <laughs> I didn't been there before. <laughs> I just told myself I ain't gonna go there no more. Where's the soldier slim? You heard me? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Go ahead, proceed, brother. I'm but, listening. <laughs> but like, um, but yeah, do you think that the NFL teams will look at that, having gone through? you know everything yourself in your career and kind of will think well you know this isn't a guy that when it when the chips are down he's coming up instead he's bolting off and preserving and looking out for number one which i un- yeah i understand as a young kid you want to get to the nfl and actually get paid for playing this sport mm-hmm. but an nfl team might see that as an attitude problem which is something that's so often talked about now in the nfl yeah. Ooh, it's 
Like it was this song. It went, "It's a thin line <laughs> between love and hate." Y'all saw that movie before, right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a thin line between opting out, not opting out. So, in the case of, let's say, Jamar Chase, my alarm keeps going off. So, good, in the but- case of J- Jamar Chase, it doesn't hurt his stock. It was actually a smart move. All the scouts that's checking him out right now, that's interested in him. They know what he's doing, and it won't hurt anything. As a matter of fact, I think him going, if he would have came back this year, that don't help his stock. It would have probably hurt his stock some, yeah. mm. right? Because you don't have a developed quarterback. The, the quarterback that did come back that had some experience, he gets hurt early in the season. And, and Miles Brennan, you're, you're forced to turn to a very talented uh, young T.J. Finley. And a very talented Mac Johnson at the pedigree. His dad played uh, Super Bowl quarterback Brad Johnson. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uncle, coach, uh, coach Ritt. So you you have the pedigree to protect their babies. They're just out of high school, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, me, Glenn Dorsey was the most decorated defensive tackle to play at LSU. I played right alongside him for four seasons. We didn't have to. We didn't have any freshman pressure. You know, we yeah. didn't even have sophomore pressure. Like Glenn burnt his red shirts, but me and Tyson didn't. So we had time to develop. These guys didn't on the O line and the D line. You know, I mentored Jaquel and Roy. He's D tackle. He, he wears my number two out of 99. <laughs> nice. And, uh, you know, the 99, boy. Yep. So, so he, he wears 99. And, and I, I can remember him calling me after the Mizzou game. He was just so lost. His, he was, his head was spinning. So I kind of put some stuff into perspective for him. I talked to him after the game, kind of talked him through some stuff. We watched a little bit of film and that type of stuff. You know, you just you're being force feed now because of the circumstances. Mm. Um, you know, that kid didn't have a chance to develop. So just looking at it from that perspective, you, you, you kind of understand what's going on at LSU. Like you you lose just about everybody. Right. Yeah. But now on the flip side to your answer, right, Ali, there's a situation where it's where it's a guy like Tyler Shelvin, I don't know where he might have helped or hurt himself because I think he should have came back, put some more tape out there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, show yourself just because he would have been the man this year, right? I think he left prematurely. I, I, I think Kerry Vincent, it could have been either way. I know he has speed. He's a track guy. So, I mean, you can't coach for it too. You know, no. <laughs> story, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't coach it. You just got to draft it and, and, and just do your thing with it. So I think he's okay. Now, Terrence Marshall, it's, you know, locally here in Louisiana, it's, it's been a lot of mixed feelings about that situation. I totally respect it. And I understand it because you're a businessman at the very end of the day. And at LSU can't really do anything for you outside of your eligibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for him, if you see the ship sinking, are you going to just drown with the ship? Now there's another side of the coin that says, Oh, well, you know, what type of player you are? You just, you know, leave your team like that. Well, that's a, that's a thin line right now. His stocks up here and for him to come back this season actually helped him. Yeah. It helped him because last year it was chase, chase, chase. He misses five games and he still has as much yards as them. Like he was, it was a three-headed monster, almost four-headed monster we had in the receiving core. Like, you don't know whether to double Jefferson, you know, double Chase. Then there's this Terrence Marshall guy. That's what happened in the Alabama game last year. Like, mm. Terrence had two touchdowns right up the middle, right up running right those seam routes. So, it's 
it's a thin line. You have I just I, my my thing, guys. I just hope that these players can continue to be advised properly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's gonna be the real deal, y'all. It's tough though, isn't it? Because if you want a winning national championship winning team in the year after, it's is like you said, a sinking ship. If anything, if you were that good, they'd say, Well, you should be making more of an impact. This team shouldn't be struggling because you're on it. Well, actually, only one one player can't change the whole eleven players on the field. So it's mm-hmm. it's a bit unfair to make it that way, but then their tape would get worse, wouldn't it? And their stats would go down. And then yeah, then you'd have a case of, well, now I said it might be a first or second round grade. Maybe now it's a seventh or a sixth. But but this is where as well, like like Jazz, we were talking about this beforehand, Marlon, about um, like football is there is so much of it is is pure luck in terms of like yeah. you have a golden group of players, so you need to have talent in that group of players on the individual level. But then you need a guy that can bring that group of players together and get them to work in unison. And you need to have a group of players that can work in unison together with the talent that can then fit the system that the coaching staff want to implement as well. And when you think of it in that sort of way, I mean, it's no surprise that you get things like what's happened with LSU, what you get in the NFL with teams just dropping off the face of the earth suddenly after, you know, looking like they're, oh, they get to a Super Bowl like the Falcons, they don't win it. Oh, their window's open. They'll be going back. They'll be going back. No, you're not, because that perfect storm of everything coming together is so difficult to achieve, man. And if you're an unlucky kid who was like a freshman in that LSU championship winning side last year, and then you suddenly you have to try and build a college career off the backbone of what's happening now and hopefully it improves over the next few years, it's such a different ride compared to the guys that have kind of been riding the wave of that golden generation coming up, man. And it changes futures. And it's... It's such a coin flip at the end of the day of whether you go to the right place at the right time and you get the hot streak that you need to then go to the NFL and hopefully get the right place at the right time and get the hot streak. It blows my mind how difficult it is to succeed, really. In this Just like game. Joe Burrow. Yeah. Struggled at Ohio State, then LSU lights the league on fire. Well, it lights college football on fire, should we say. Wins the national championship, goes first overall. Granted, maybe like not that. the best situation since Nancy could have gone to in the whole league, but not a bad one compared to say the jets yeah so. i was gonna say like imagine if you're joe burrow right now you're hella glad that you went last year Ooh. rather than this year aren't you <laughs> oh yes <laughs> oh yes trevor lawrence like come on justin Field, fall <laughs> off, just go do it <laughs> what would you do Marl? if you were trevor lawrence right now and you saw the jets were gonna have number one pick locked on do you go back to college for one more year to avoid it i'm getting out because my stock high yeah, okay. I'm going, uh, and I'm getting on the phone with the man. And oh, hey, Mr. Arch Manny, uh, could you give me that uh, uh that Eli deal? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. no, that's. I was about yeah. to say, just don't do what Eli did because that he that was tarnished from the word go. Then oh, Elway and Eli are two players that I've never liked because of that because they got drafted and they're like, I don't want to go there. You you take the luck that you got and you stick with it and you try and turn it around and then hopefully like Sam Darnold will potentially get at some point you'll get traded away or thrown off the team and like a Tannehill in Miami you'll go somewhere else where you can succeed talent stays strong right talent stays strong it's just finding the situation the the Tannehill thing was a great piece that I like that because that that was the same situation but not as not as worse because it does it makes sense because Sam Darnold was like I can remember the the reports on him it's this this strong arm quarterback he's ah mm-hmm. I'm like yeah then it's like at the Jet they say he's seeing ghosts but you you, you made a, a strong point earlier and, and I think to answer y'all's question about 
like when to, to opt out, when to leave, you know, what deal to do. It's about mastering the uh, art of timing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you look at a guy like Clyde Edwards Elair, he had to sit behind Leonard Fournette. He had to sit behind Darius Geis. They wasn't even talking about him going into the 2019 season. They was talking about, oh, we're going to have John Emery come in, one of the top running backs. He wasn't even in the conversation, but he continued to work his tail off and mastered the art of timing. Now he's taking reps starting for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this guy two years ago wasn't even a thought for LSU. So yeah. to yeah. your point, yeah, you, you it's about mastering the art of timing. Like I kind of missed it by a smidget personally. Like yeah. my stock was much higher the 2007 national championship year, but I'm a man of my word. So I told my cousin, you know, I was going to go back to school and get my degree, which I'm for my post uh, career. That was a good deal. Right. And yeah, what yeah. I'm doing out I went to school for broadcasting, but it's still a decision. Like, man, leave with Glenn. He first round you, the other D tackle. Yeah. You got to, you, you took out a, a line of, well, um, the, the laws of London, the whole deal with the insurance policies. It, we used to call it the Maurice, uh, the, the Willie McGinnis. You know, he broke his leg. And, you know, after that, it was like, nobody was playing with that no more. Like, yeah. it was like, oh no, we getting this million dollar policy. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. my grade, you, in order to get it, you had to have a certain grade. And I had a second round grade. So worst case scenario, I fall in the fourth round or something like that. So, you know, those thoughts from a financial security that's why i really feel terrence marshall from that standpoint like in his letter he said i gotta take care of my family like i want to retire my mom and my dad you can do that with with one check from the nfl you know right now he's listed to go 29 overall he's gonna kill a combine yeah you know he's jamar chase him and jamar chase was the number one and two guy coming out of high school here in uh, the united states so it'll be interesting to see yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with the the timing factor on that, and but then it, it can it's still it's such a difficult path to play because obviously you've you've mentioned Glenn Dorsey a couple of times now, of course, playing alongside him, and and you know he went big, his stock, you know he he was a name that I was expecting. Yeah, Warren Sapp was the kind of comparison that was always yeah, given yeah. to Glenn Dorsey, yeah. and then what happened with Glenn Dorsey? You know, again, just it, it's so tough. You you can easily drop off the face of the earth. Vernon Goldston that same year as well, I think it was. They huh. both went big in the yes, draft. And yeah. again he was a workout warrior, wasn't he? He was combined numbers. Yeah. That was but, but like the talk was there. Their stock was so high and then you get and you play the game and for whatever reason. And I think, you know, we had um we had Shane Vereen on a f- many weeks back now, but he said that the the difference between succeeding as a player in the NFL and like being on a good team and a great team that wins is that coaching because they have the extra 5% because the difference between all of the individual players on the field actually isn't as much as we always perceive through either like, you know, dumb madam ratings or just like what we view because on an individual basis, the talent has to be there. Otherwise you're not playing. It's having then the guy overall on the umbrella kind of p- position, the puppet master who's making it all work together. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. how puppet master. Yeah. Well, ex- that's, that's a good analogy. Like that's that. what a coach is. Strings. That's what the head Pulling coach the is. He's, he's designing the stage. <laughs> he's got it all set up and he's making sure that the puppets all move around in the right way on the stage to get it done. And then you've got the guy that runs the puppet show that hires the right puppets that they need to make the show look good. That's so you got, you got me going to a place now, bro. You, you really do because it makes me think back to my rookie year. So 
my rookie year, I bounced around like five teams, right? Mm-hmm. And I ended up in New Orleans with the Super Bowl winning with them. But the the longest stint I had on one team in the NFL was in Kansas City. And at that time, it was seven LSU guys there. It was Glenn Dorsey. He was drafted the year before first round. It was Tyson Jackson. He was in the draft. He was in the uh, same class as me, except they paid him even more money the next year. <laughs> and you you had uh, Dwayne Bowe. Uh, you had Rudy mm-hmm. Nicewiner. Um, I'm missing a few. Oh, my, myself. Uh, who else? I'm Travis Daniels. So it was like six of us out there. Yeah. And on one Kansas City team, just at that one time during the season. And to answer your question about Glenn, Glenn was such a good college player. Like playing alongside this dude for four years. Some like he had <clears throat> was called a niche. Right. His niche was this dude had the most powerful hips in college football. So like he'll come with a club and oh God, throw you out the pl- out the uh, club. This is in the Polini's defense. He strided and we he played me and Glenn would switch. He always played the three tech. So he would be at the three and we would see, OK, it's over like it's an over call. So he would be the three. And if I'm on that side, we would switch. I would go to the nose at the shade and we would do that all the time. So Glenn had an opportunity to to shoot in those gaps and make those plays backside and stuff like that. When he got to Kansas City, he switched to a a 3-4 and was asked to play that four technique and then was asked to do the same thing in San Francisco. So I guarantee you if Glenn could have played like in New Orleans or Philly, one of those defenses that shoot the gap, I'm telling you, he would he would you would have heard more about him. Don't, Same yeah. thing with Tyson. Don't tell me about Philadelphia missing out on another great LSU prospect, man, because we walked on <laughs> Justin Jefferson this year. Don't tell me Glenn Dorsey would have been the perfect fit in our D-line as well with all the punch he had coming out of college, man. You I loved him. it in Philly. So I, I played under Andy Reid out there, mm. right? I was out there right after the lockout. That was after the Patriots released me, Big Red picked me up. Matter of fact, it's a it's funny how video just continues to resurface. So it's a play we're playing against the Cleveland Browns, and I like dive, and it's like the best picture you'll ever see, but it's the the most the biggest failed tackle you'll ever watch on an NFL film. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. I just like gravity. I, I remind me to send y'all that link. If you if you type in failed tackle on which McCall, you'll see it like, and I keep seeing it pop up like on memes and stuff. I'm like, why do y'all still have this? Is like from 2011. Why does it still exist? But long story short, playing under Andy Reid, like this guy is a mastermind in terms of like, if you remember that year, we had like a super team. It didn't work out because it was a lot of Eagles on one team, but we had like Asante Samuel, Nandi Asmoa, we had Trent Cole, Jason Babin, mm. Michael Vick, Vince Young. We had a plethora of quarterbacks. We had Ronnie Brown at running back. We had LaShawn McCoy. Like it was just this super, this this super team. <laughs> and uh I just remember just like all the different personalities. We had like Chris Jenkins just won a Super Bowl with Green Bay. He came over to that team. It was just like it was a fun time. I love playing for Coach Reed. Dude, that, that, I, I just sorry, I just watched that video. By the way, that is the one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll uh, we'll put that. We'll make sure we put that up on the uh, on the Twitter account later on. After yeah. we're done with this, don't worry, man. <laughs> oh, they're gonna be laughing at me over there. You kicking? But hey, man, it's a nice try. But hey, <laughs> like you thought it was in, huh? it's like you thought it was Space Jam. If you just jump, your arms are gonna extend and make yeah. their way. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I ain't gonna lie to you. I knew it was like far fetched, but I said, you know what? I'm gonna just sell out. Like, yeah. Worst case scenario, Coach Red said, I'm going to keep him on the team because he just he he's, he's he has a relentless. I went to the sideline. I never forget this. So Vic was like, <laughs> and then Coach Red was like, before you know it, the whole sideline was laughing at me. I, like everywhere I went after that, it was always this awkward silence in the meeting room. <laughs> like. <laughs> I said, y'all saw that video, didn't you? Yeah, we saw it. <laughs> I said, let me tell y'all something. I do this. Now, if y'all won't be funny, we can be funny, but I can do this all day. We'll be ribbing all day. Said, oh, you think you can laugh? Look at this video. I said, boy, look at your headline. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. It's crazy. Dude, well, yeah, I miss ways, it. It just shows the insight into your mind there because you're just trying to stay on a team. So you have to try and go the extra not one yard, but 10 or 15 yards to try and make sure they <laughs> see what you're doing. To, yeah. To, yeah. So actually, that probably works in your favor. <laughs> yeah. I th- well, let me see. I bounced around about two more teams after that, playing a couple more leagues. Yeah. There's no such thing as bad press, man. If you're in the coach's eye line, right, for whatever reason, yeah. he at least knows you're there rather than being somebody unknown in the background that he never yeah. really gets to talk to or anything like that. You're there and you're trying to make plays, right? That's that's a big key. That's got, that's got to count high in your stock, surely. Elevate you, particularly under Andy Reid, man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> for real. And, and, and another thing I liked about that team, too, like, we had fun. Like, mm. I can remember... Just train like practice being, we'll we'll be getting after at the practice, but it, it'll everybody enjoyed themselves and you know we had Coach Wasp as the D line coach, so he really taught me how to regroup plays. Like mm-hmm. I used to have a different format of how I learned new plays. He's like, man, look, I'm gonna throw this big playbook at you, but look, you need to do this. <laughs> so I appreciated my time there. I did. I really did. That was almost a good John Gruden impression, that one, I'll give you. That sounded yeah. almost Gruden-esque. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, because um, you've played, obviously, for two great head coaches in particular, in Peyton and in, in Reed. And if that difference is the ability to for the coach to get extra out of people, what makes those guys better than others at getting that out of people i mean you can tell by the way you talk about particularly just then talking about the eagles you know you enjoyed playing for andy reed and the kind of environment that he at least created there which must be a big thing for any player you know playing in a team that you enjoy being a part of but what what elevates those head coaches above others is there anything that we wouldn't think of is it, is it just football smarts or? well I, I do think both guys uh coach sean payton and andy reed are one of the better offensive minds in our in our time in terms of just the way they learn and break down their opposing defenses and dialing up and drawing up the right plays, the right personnel. Um, like, you know, with Coach Andy Reid, is this track team of receivers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then down here with Coach Payton, it, it's usually, you know, big target receivers like Marcus Colson and Michael Thomas. And it's just always this finding a, a nice niche to get in a, a, a tight end. Uh, but – but off the field, Coach Payton, as a matter of fact, I just got followed by Coach Payton on Twitter over the 
was this like oh, right before cool. the football season? Like, man, that's cool. I, didn't swagger, know that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was there so for such a short uh stint. I mean, I know I'm I'm on local a lot around here, but I was there for such a short stint. I ain't they gonna you know follow up on a brother, but yeah, Coach Payton <laughs> followed me. I mean, he's cool. I think after the Super Bowl, he may have kind of I don't want to say he got lost in the sauce, but it's 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 a certain level of pride and or a certain way to kind of keep yourself humble. And if you don't watch certain levels of success, it could potentially get you. Like, and I just saw, like, it was this humble, grounded, intelligent football coach. And after the Super Bowl, and and I may be wrong. Like I said, I wasn't really around him, but I was just kind of just paying attention to his demeanor. That piece seems like it changed, and that'll get you. Now, Coach Red, on the other hand, I was there with them even shorter, but um, or around the, I probably in Philly a little longer. But my time in Philly is just this is a coach I felt comfortable around. Like our personalities were similar. Mm-hmm. It's a personality game, man. Like yeah. just thinking of, it, it really is like <clears throat> me and Todd Haley personalities did not clash at all. Like co- like Coach Todd Haley, a very intelligent coach, but <clears throat> it's just. I couldn't I couldn't really shake his personality. Dan Quinn couldn't really shake his personality. You know, great guys remember, and I thank both guys for opportunities. Shoot, Coach Haley gave he gave me the longest opportunity in the NFL. So it ain't nothing like that. Mm. But it, it's just that, you know, the personalities now Coach John Fox, our personalities got along. Coach uh Jim Moore Jr., our personalities got along. Coach Mike uh, uh Shanahan. Our person, his personality really, really worked for me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't want to bore you guys just to, and not saying that Coach Payton personality didn't work for me, but it just kind of felt a little off. You can't know. be best friends with everybody, like, can you? I mean, it just, you know, there are some people right. that you just don't click with, but you get that in all yeah. walks of life. That's you know, so pretty much. Yeah. No. Just from a head coach's point of view as well, they've got to try and keep some distance from all the players they have unless they're the superstar quarterback, because you know that they're going to be there forever. But you don't right. know which player at any point is either going to be traded or cut. And you don't want to get too attached because you don't want to be making an emotional decision that will affect the team. That's yeah. kind of my understanding of why they do that. But it's the same with any sort of sport, though, isn't it? It's you're trying to figure out if you're a coach, does this player need to be told you're not doing well enough to do more? Or do they need an arm around the shoulder? No, you're doing really well. Keep going. And they need encouragement. And it's trying to figure out which type of personalities you have it's probably the kind of the, the crux of coaching in general. So it's mm. it's not surprising to have different coaches be people you get along with versus ones you didn't. Right. And in and, and to go along to piggyback off what you said with that, knowing that it's a business and these mm. guys personally are good people for the most part. But yeah. when it comes to business and because at the very end of the day, you're not being judged by making a locker room laugh or yeah. you know just being a great conversational person you're being judged by the production on the field so yeah to, to your point jazz that that makes it that's good the trouble isn't it piece. yeah yeah it's cool it's cool though you know it's cool i just it, it, football is one of them environments you got to kind of find that balance though that's the only thing you you got to find that balance and okay i'm gonna be a fun fun coach but at the same time stern and and that's a lot of coaches can't find that balance yeah, yeah, you you want to rule. Sean Payton found that though. He he has fun. Yeah. You want to rule and have, have a winning program. It's not as much of an issue. Sorry, Ollie. Like if you had Bill Belichick's been come out, everyone comes out and says it's not very fun playing underneath him. But if you're winning 
four Super Bowls in six years or whatever, or three Super Bowls in six years or whatever it was, you probably put up with the, the lack of fun because, well, the rings probably feel really good on your finger. <laughs> bling, bling. And, Coach, yeah. and I know you were going to go out island, but he brought up Coach Belichick. Surprisingly, he was hella nice. Oh, really? Like, Man, yes, everybody says that. Surprisingly. They all say yeah. that away from the media, he is such a nice guy, such a yeah. kind of chatty and like makes jokes and all that kind of thing. But I, th- yeah. I think the discipline of the Patriots, I don't know. I've Obviously, I've never played. But from everything that I've gathered over the last few years, it seems like the discipline of being in the Patriots environment is tough because as a team and the, organi- and the way they run the organization, it's disciplined and it's under that regime. But Belichick as a coach, by all accounts, is like a great crack. Like he's great fun to hang around with, to chat with, to be with. And he's a really good guy. And it's so weird to have, again, like a juxtaposition of that. Like he's a great individual as an as a guy that rules the roost, though he's got the respect that he can command and keep everybody in control kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, he's found that balance. He, he really did. So one thing I noticed, and I don't know if Shane told that to y'all, like we've had times for fun. Like I can remember Patrick Chung busting a freestyle and I had to beatbox. So <laughs> Brilliant. And I'm hitting it. And then Coach Belichick after the whole thing, well, well, well Patrick, uh, his flow was nice, but what was really most impressive was with Marlon beatboxing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, no. I'm like, dog, this dude is really like, he's not. So he he does, he to the media, you're going to get, and, and that's it. But to, to his players, like, when it's, when, when it's practice time, he's serious. You better not step right there. You got to step there. Like, we, everything is very organized. But when it's time for us to, like, clown in the locker room or something like that or in the meeting rooms, it, he laid back. So that was very surprising to me when I got them, like, this perception of this, man, Bill Belichick is just this mean coach. Never. Nah, I've had worse. Wow. There you go. Wow. Um. I want to ask you as a, a like an ex-player and, and somebody obviously that stays so close to the game about the changes that we're seeing in coaching attitudes at the moment. Because I, I think we've said on the podcast before, football in general is becoming more like a video game. It's more like Madden now. You know, everybody wants to see the splashy plays. The rules are designed for like receivers to make the big plays and stuff like that. But now it coming into coaching, it's like that as well. Fourth down is now a down that everybody is almost expected to go on so much more than it would have been, you know, six, seven years ago, even, you know, fourth and one, you don't even contemplate you're punting it away, depending on field position or you're going, you're taking the points, taking the points was always the thing we used to hear. Now it's like the analytics guys are saying fourth and one. Well, that's actually your best time to be successful in a down and you probably want to go for it. And they're going for it. And, and it's costing some teams games and the decision-making and, and it's, frustrating the living hell out of me that now there's all this pressure and I think Doug Peterson almost triggered it with what happened with the Philly Eagles going for it so much that year and then winning the Super Bowl and being successful in that way I just wonder if you noticed that at all and if like I don't know do you find it as a bit of a perhaps a football purist of like no let's let's play safe let's take the field goal take the three we don't have to play a fourth and one at our own 50. Well, if you let my son tell you, every I go for every four down on Madden, but <laughs> so do I. So do I. Uh, I'm like, I'm not about to give you this ball, but <laughs> you, you, it depends on the coach. If it's more of an old school, traditional coach, and as you mentioned, the field position is if you're on, the, if you're like on, let's say a fine spot like the the 37. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, if you're on the 37. 
do you want to go for it and potentially get his team back the ball? But everything plus 50, now it's, okay, go for it on fourth down, especially if it's closed. You got some – because I do believe that they have fourth down packages. Okay, if it's fourth and two and we're right here, we're going to run this. Mm-hmm. So you do have – you see the little – you know how the thing pop up on the screen, fourth down conversions, success rate. You start to see more of that. So is the integrity game of the game being tested in that area? I think that the coaching has gotten more confident because you have Patrick Mahomes, mm-hmm. you have Lamar Jackson, you have – you know, running backs like Alvin Kamara that could do so many different things. You you have Christian McCaffrey, who who is just this all-around football player like pedigree.com. So yeah. I think with evolution, you got more guys <laughs> that that back in the day, you know, it's fourth and one. You got Jim Brown, your main guy. You know, Jim <laughs> going to pound, but, you know, they're going to put – Eight Shoot, guys in the I mean, box, it's 11 yeah. players on the field, but they might yeah. put 15, 20, 30 people in the box. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. They're about to give it to Jim. So so that part of the game has has evolved. Yeah, it's just, you know, you look at like what happened with the Chargers or even the, the Cowboys uh, on Thanksgiving. Don't I mean, what was me. going on there, man? You're just trying like weird trick double reverses to try and on fourth down. in. That um, was a pass, though. Yeah, you, then was, again, I watched up, on the yeah. Pat McAfee show. They, they showed the play in, in a bigger screen. And there was a guy completely free 20 yards up the field. If they'd thrown it, they would have had a huge completion and they would look like geniuses. But if that's you don't... poor execution. But if you don't, yeah, I don't agree with the play call either from that position, I also don't agree with it at all. It just means you just say to your defense, well, no, you can't stop these guys. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and keep the ball because they're going to run all over you like they did and just rack the score up. It, yeah, that's it, pretty much. I, and and the charges, uh, you know, time and time again with execution, either on fourth downs or like third and shorts, and the and the kind of calls that are being called by uh, by Anthony Lynn or uh, the offensive coordinator who's actually calling plays offensively on that sideline in general, and like it, it's costing them so many games this season. You know, they they have an okay defense when everything's flying. Their special teams unit doesn't look great this year in in uh, Los Angeles with the Chargers. Their offense looks fantastic. As Jazz knows, I'm a big fan of uh, Justin Herbert. You know, I mean, the, the kid's nice. just incredible. Um, He's talented. Yeah, and uh, well, not as good since he cut his hair, incidentally. Oh man, <laughs> I blame the coaches for that. I'm sure he's had some one of the one of the coaches has probably told him to cut the hair and then given him he all these duff calls bet, as well. Yeah, <laughs> there might be lots. Or is like rookie hazing? Yeah, possibly. You got to cut your hair. Now, I know those veterans are a little upset they did that now. <laughs> <laughs> but the Chargers are that team that's literally right there. They shouldn't even be judged by their record. I watched them very close against New Orleans. They put up a fight. That was the mm-hmm. first game Justin Herbert had started. Mm. I do understand why they did announce him the full-time starter. Um, Keenan Allen, his production was so high under Phillip Rivers. When you make a quarterback change, it can go either here or there. Mm-hmm. It, it just Like last year when Drew Brees got hurt, Teddy Bridgewater just happened to really work out well. And that worked out good for Teddy because it made him, he made him some money. Mm-hmm. But you switch out a D tackle, that's different. Shouts out to Brennan Fajoko, LSU cat. They just activated him. The Chargers did to their uh, active roster. Undrafted free agent. You talk about 
um, you know, all the time. And that's a, that's a guy that, that had had a very unique story, bounced around. Good family, too, man. Really good family. They used to have it lit before the games. Y'all should go check it out. Really? Yes. Oh, they get it. They really. I talked to his dad. His dad is like, I guess in his fifties, and he's ripped. Oh, like, I've seen this. Yeah. I've seen this on the uh, on the pregame stuff. Yeah, right outside on the team's walk into the stadium. Yeah, yeah. That, they're doing the Samoan uh, hackers. Yes. Yeah, the Tongan oh, hackers or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was cold, bro. It, it was it was a sight to see, and just a good family. So you you happy for guys like that, you know, just mm-hmm. who who may have not gotten those opportunities before, um, but yeah. That's that's what's up. Well, I hope he can come in and actually help this Chargers team out on, and and add that extra missing piece on defense, man. Because as I say, they they're a team. If you do look at their record, and unfortunately, you know Anthony Lim might get judged on that record at the end of this year because yeah. at the moment when you look at it, the thing that's letting the the Chargers down this season seems to be the decisions that coaches are making. Execution is kind of there generally across the board, aside from maybe special teams. That's where their biggest kind of lack of execution seems to be, but I, I, it might be a case that the coaching staffs need to change. I mean, like last week with the the calls and their forty, I think it's forty six seconds left on the clock. They call a timeout and they call two running plays, and they haven't stopped the clock and time runs out. I like, well, if you just thrown the ball or spiked it, you've had another chance to get the. Yeah, I think it was quite close to the end zone as well, weren't get, they? So they had a chance yeah. to make a play, but they ran out of time because the coaches pretty much shit the bed. Yeah, right. Let me ask y'all. This is a sidebar question. What? I, okay, the, the, the bar Corona is just like the center of every conversation with everything, right? Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of our games get postponed. Does that really mess up y'all views for us? Because I know last night it was the best thing because it yeah, made it the Steelers Ravens at a pretty decent time for us, like eight forty in the evening in the UK. So we were able to watch that game, and you know, I, I probably wouldn't have stayed up for the late late game on. Thanksgiving because I was so we would have done Ollie we would have stayed up okay all right well Jazz is a Steelers fan so he'd have kept me we would have stayed up (laughs) yeah yeah. so I was happy to see that that was actually postponed to where it was but at the same time I really wanted to watch it on Sunday because it felt like a game that'd been quite nice to sit down with red zone on one side and the game on the other which I don't usually do but I would have done it for that um but it's it's weird because you look at the Bronco situation with their QB room getting completely ruled out and having to play, um, what was his name? Hinton. Kendall, uh, Kendall Hinton. Hinton yeah. That's it. And but then the, the Ravens have all their people go out, but they postpone the game for them, but the Broncos doesn't get postponed. I understand that maybe it was the spread inside the team because I think it was maybe 25 people, personnel and coaches included, had tested positive. So that's a bigger spread. But at the same time, from a competitive advantage point of view, having your entire quarterback room go out is less, so it's more disruptive to you than having 25 players go out. So it's sometimes hard to understand whether it's because of competitive reasons, which it felt like a little bit with the Ravens, or if it's down to health and safety reasons, like it would have been, like they've said it has been for the Ravens. Dude, or, I, or money. Like part of me yeah, thinks money that as well. yeah. the Ravens was kept on this, was shifted around so much because at the end of the day, the NFL really wants like big name teams at the moment like the Ravens and they're arguably one of their biggest branding players in Lamar Jackson they want yeah. him to be playing and showing up now he obviously couldn't play in the end but people will have still tuned in to see what that team is like without Lamar Jackson whereas the Denver Broncos not having any of their quarterbacks no one's tuning in for that because nope. everyone's going well this is just going to be as it was you know like Philip Lindsay Royce Freeman 
Melvin Gordon as like a three-man backfield trying to run three different options on every running play and just ended up as a complete... I mean, both games were pretty embarrassing to watch in the end from like a fan's point of view. Like I felt guilty almost watching them because the the level yeah. of football that's being played is impossible to play to the high standard that you expect almost from the NFL as a fan because yeah. it's generally entertainment every week. But at the same time, I, I do think the Ravens and the Steelers were shifted around because it's such a bigger game. It's such a big rivalry. It's a marquee matchup, isn't it? And so yeah. they, they're desperate to, to still have it there in like a standalone slot, perhaps, for money. Whereas, you know, Denver, are they going to go to the playoffs this year? No. Have they got like a, a big marquee player? Not really. No. The no. Saints are going to be without Drew Brees anyway. So, you know, that's a big hindrance to them, you know, Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill coming in with something to talk about, but at the same time, you just think, well, it's going to be a case of if Taysom Hill can engineer the the offense scoring fourteen points, the Broncos aren't going to score more than three to seven. So you know it's going to be a win. You know the game was going to finish that way. Yeah. So and it's just it's a game that you can just shuffle back in the main roster card somewhere of games and be like, look, don't worry about that. Yeah. Don't worry about what's going on in Denver. Ignore that. Get watching one of the bigger games on a Sunday. By the way, the big rivalry of Steelers-Ravens, we're putting that on TV, even if we're moving it around for the lighting of the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center or whatever it was that NBC moved it to that time for. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, <laughs> what is going on here at this point? Like, it's just madness. So it's it's not necessarily frustrating, I don't think, in terms of the timing, because it's never going to be put on later on an evening, is it, than the US kind of latest uh, seven thirty, kickoff. Yes, the seventh, the seventh, the uh, Sunday night game. Yeah, it's never going right. to be later than that. So you're in the UK. We're not going to have to stay up later to watch it. And actually, it gives us more opportunities. I quite liked Tuesday night football. If I wasn't so worried about how it would mess up schedules and players and fitness and you know everything else, add to yeah. things like player risks being higher for injuries i would be like yeah let's have a tuesday night football every so often maybe throw a wednesday one let's have a game every let's night have a game week. every day like that's the nba that's and what it's it. to. i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like that isn't it and it's kind of nice it is kind of nice having that but also it you know it's just not feasible in a sport like like the nfl is it causes too many problems with scheduling changes well, that's where it gets very interesting here in the States because football is king. So we have yep. been experiencing football every night, mm-hmm. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you got your Thursday night football. Then there's been some college football games on Friday nights. Then you have your traditional high school football, which I'm going to watch my son play in the playoffs tomorrow. Nice. Right. And then you have Saturday that's college football. And then now we're back to Sunday football. So it's every day here in the States. Every day. Has it been seen as good positive? Or yeah. Well, for the distractions that they like us to have over here, it's good. Right. Mm. But the bad thing is for football being king, it 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 really cannibalizes everything else. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just like, hey, we got to now that the Saints are coming on, it's just like <laughs> yeah. everybody shut down. It's a real personality control. I didn't realize that till I was out. Like, I noticed locally, like, when the Saints win, everybody's in a good mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to get a raise today? Let's get it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the Saints lose. Uh, okay, what are you? Uh, well, no, we're not hiring. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like that whole yeah. little deal here. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. What's the attitude around um, 
around the kind of Saints at the moment because obviously Breeze out, Taysom Hill come like everybody in the two weeks ago in the build up to the game was like, oh, it's going to be Winston. Winston starts. You know, he's still <laughs> yeah. eating W's or whatever he wants to do, like <laughs> over the shoulder of Drew Breeze after victories and things. I actually think that's what lost him when he brought back the eating W's live on air when Breeze is being interviewed. I think that I think Peyton was like. We'll put Hill in. No. Hill goes in next week. It's fine. Don't hey, worry. no. That has some validity to it, man. I'm telling you, it do. I, I, I know you said that jokingly, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think that organization liked too much extra. I'm just saying. Yeah. 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 I think so. He, he, he cuts such a figure on the sidelines as well, doesn't he? He looks like a little sheep that's been lost and he's waiting to be found by his owner. That's what he looks like with the clipboard, just looking like this, looking around, hoping to get his chance. It's never going to happen. I don't know. It might, it might happen. So here, here's here's the deal. Okay, so locally around here, everybody is like, oh, we know how this story ends. Good thing we got Jameis Winston. Hey, we just paid Taysom Hill. So he's so we got backup options. So everybody's just kind of like, <sighs> plus the Saints only lost two games. They lost to Vegas and they lost to uh, Green Bay. Mm. So they're in, the, they're in the driver's seat of the NFC. The top team still is the top team over there with Kansas City. It's just the Saints are in a good position, but Drew Brees is still our best option yeah. at quarterback. 100%. And I think I still believe that our second best option is crazy as all this may sound is James <laughs> because th- this is the, yeah, whatever that is, he's doing. I, well, oh, I love lying, that. Yeah. For sure, yeah. bro. Because I'm gonna stick to what Patrick Peterson told me, and I'm going to stick to what I saw last year. I did see a guy that threw 30 touchdowns, what led the NFL, but he also threw 30 interceptions. 30 picks, That's yeah. the whole thing. So he's, 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 he's destined to give you a pick. But Taysom, to me, is a package player. Mm-hmm. Like, he, yeah. he, they could have paid him three more million, and it would it would have still been worth it because he does add that much value to your team. Like, look at football. Football is about finding the best 45 guys you can activate. Taysom is in the top 45 on anybody's team. Why? Because he'll do all the special teams for you. He can get in. He can catch. Mm -hmm. He can get in that running back if you need him. He can throw. He can run the option. But I think that's what he is. You could, If you watch the Denver game, if you watch um, uh, the Falcons game, that's not going to work in the playoffs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think that – I think when you get in the playoffs, it's so elite at the time. I think Tampa plays better in the playoffs with a wild card. I think San Francisco, when healthy, can run it. But you know Seattle's going to be a wreck in, to deal with in the playoffs. So I just think the NFC – I mean, the NFC East, you don't really have to worry about that. <laughs> no, you don't. No, no, no disrespect. Like I said, I love the NFC East. My favorite team little, is little bit, A little bit of – disrespect but deserved as well deserved disrespect <laughs> bro my team is the cowboys outside of the saints i, I love the cowboys oh, oh dear i dear. so that's even worse you know what i'm saying like look how bad they look this will be the like, last appearance of marlon favorite show. on the podcast the very last time we, we invite marlon back <laughs> <laughs> yeah feeling tra- treated me better though yeah i've never been a dad they never what well, they never brought me on their team kind of glad because i felt like i would have been like 
I wouldn't, you know. Yeah, you don't want that tainted, do you? Like seeing how the sausage is made, so to speak. You know what I mean? See behind (laughs) the curtain and seeing Jerry's true, uh, true persona. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't hear some stuff I don't like already. So, it's it's, because to me, you know where you get your favorite team from. That's what Jazz. See, Jazz. Of course, you like the Steelers. I mean, the greatest organization all time. No other team, arguably not the Patriots. You know, but no other team has touched six rings. You know, outside of the Patriots. So you got that whole deal and Philly, like we all like traditional teams. Like these are traditionally good. Like Philly has always had his run. It's been a good team. They just recently won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Pittsburgh probably about to go get another Super Bowl this year. They're the only undefeated team in the NFL. And the Cowboys, we just got five rings. Oh, man, the 90s jokes. Man, y'all ain't been good since. We didn't have beepers back then. But but, but in all actuality, for the Saints, I do think that they're back in that position again. Like there was in 2017 and 2018 where you just got to duck that Minnesota miracle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also, then the game against the Rams with the no corner pass interference. They've been very unlucky them for a few years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, last year Minnesota. That's why they drafted Caesar Ruiz because the you know they tore up our interior line. But right now the Saints have, in my opinion, one of the best defenses in the NFL. Uh, they have what you want up front: eight, nine guys that can rotate and play up front to keep fresh legs. Yeah, this is a solid linebacking core. Mm-hmm. Right, you got uh, Chance Gardner. Yeah, Malcolm Jenkins, yeah. he did his thing for Philly, right? Won yeah. y'all the Super Bowl, too. So you, you got, you know, Malcolm, that was our rookie year. We won the Super Bowl with the Saints. So you got, and you got talent. You know, you keep Jack Rabbit healthy. You got Michonne. He can play consistent. I talked to Marcus Williams a lot, you know, him and DeMario. And, you know, they're excited. He's playing better. He's playing like it's his contract year. So the defense can make it happen. It will really remind me of that Seattle's defense back in like 2013. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's big yeah, praise. That's yeah. Big Cause praise. they got the D line is a decent amount of D line. You know, you're getting better play out of your first round. The Trey Henderson is just having one heck of a year. Um, this is one, arguably one of the better. I mean, you look over there at Seattle and also you look at uh, Tampa, but outside of that, this is probably one of the better linebacking cores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 you know you you it's, have you have some some positives in New Orleans and you know the folks here we all lo- locally were happy. It's taken of course, time. Jordan there as well. It's taken time for that Saints D to because I, I think before the season we were doing predictions and I, I said like Marshall Lattimore will be the defensive player of the year. I think I thought he was going to have a huge year. Uh, I thought the Saints D was going to live up to the hype. Do you think there was just a case, and not to bring it all the way back to it again, but like it was just COVID taking away the preseason and stuff that's meant that it's been a little slow initially? Because they weren't the defense that we've seen in the last few weeks, take the Falcons game out maybe, um, that we saw in the first like four weeks of the season, for instance. It, it certainly has seemed to click more as the season's gone on. Do you think COVID was the, the factor that meant that it was a little slow? I think a combination of that and just being able to get the lines clicking, the kind of, I don't, they don't have LSU issues, but Cam started off slower than usual because he got yeah. double team more. So mm. it's like we need yeah. more production on that other side. And then you get it from Trey Henderson. Like now he's like third in the NFL in sacks. So mm. he's making himself some money. And then you have guys like Roach and, you know, Anya Mata that can – 
keep that that same like once those lines got consistent and started to get some flow because before that it was just the Elvin Kamara show like Drew Brees was just like Elvin here take the ball <laughs> you know and, and then Elvin will run for 40 50 yard touchdown so yeah he, like that's what it was but ground. now and then Michael Thomas being hurt that 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 hurt them kinda, a lot mm. that hurt that them a lot a really big loss because then the most reliable target after that was probably Jared Cook and not that he's not not a good tight end, but he's he's not good enough to be the leading receiver on a team. Mm. You needed the Michael Thomas there to really be the safety blanket for Drew Brees because that's what he effectively became last year. And, the yeah, year and, I, and, and I agree with that 100% too. Like, it, I hate to always bring up fantasy football. I, I really didn't fell in love with fantasy. I, I enjoyed doing it. Uh, look, I'm checking my fantasy right now. Hi, how um, are you doing this year? Um, uh, I'm in second place. This is my best year since I didn't play. So I'm that's in good. Position nice. of, yeah, second place. This this is that's a little different for me. I just want to double check because right, with this late game, everything came late. So yeah, I yeah, lost yeah. this week, but my record put, kept me a second. So I'm right there. Nice. That's good. Yes. Oli, where are you this year? Uh, it depends on which league I'm playing in, but in the one so the league that really matters, the league you and I play in, Jazz. I'm numero uno, so it's uh, first, it's, it's his first year ever of having a winning season. Yeah, Mark. first ever winning season in <laughs> fantasy. It's embarrassing. It's taken this long, but I'm, it's like I've saved up all the victories, and I'm now trying to use them all this year. So hopefully, yeah. Jazz, where, whereabouts are you in fantasy? Oh, I'm I'm propping the league up. I'm dead last. <laughs> first time ever. I've oh man, this record. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, it's just uh, like the Saints do seem to be coming right, and at the once, right time. And once Breeze comes back, you know he can slot straight but, back but in. But will he come back? That's, a, that's the, the fractured ribs right and there. the lung issue is not a few weeks. That's probably two or maybe three months. But enough, surely. To, to but if you if you think of it this way, if you had cracked ribs or broken ribs like he does. If he comes back too early and breaks them again, shot, yeah. his lungs in a far more dangerous position. But is he coming back then? Because like, isn't this this is That's meant to question. be Breeze's last That's year? So and, if you're Breeze, you go in for that. You know, it's all or it is all or nothing. But it's, it's, it's just get the ring or maybe die. So yeah, yeah, you're gonna still get a ring. Like you're still on the team. You see, yeah. see this is my thing. Okay, so hmm, Drew Breeze is in his forties, man, and yeah. it's not like you can play a video game and draft different offensive linemen from other places. Those are a one-year guy and a two-year guy in the interior level for the Saints Mm -hmm. with McCoy and Caesar. Caesar. So it's not – you don't have your veteran right there. Uh He got hit twice, two years in a row. Yeah. In the middle. So you know your body better than anybody else. So that's my message to Drew Brees. I mean, me personally, I'll just sail into the sea, baby. Get re- continue to rehab. Yeah. You might win your ring. He's still the best option with the messed up ribs. So I, I get the challenge, Ali, but I'm leaning towards what Jazz saying. Do you come back? That's why I mentioned Jameis. Because yeah. worst case scenario, Coach Sean Payton is a player developer. Worst yeah, case okay. scenario, you get Jameis right, you know. Maybe he's the some packages. Yeah, but maybe he's going to be the one to come in in maybe week 15, 16, when the, maybe their number one seed's wrapped up. He gets two weeks of almost preseason play to try and learn the system, learns it really well, goes in the playoffs and lights it up. But you, I like that. You can't replace a QB that can slice and dice. This is my whole thing of like the, the, 
ledge that I've been walking along with quarterback play in the NFL now is that look players like Kyler Murray and and stuff like that they're great to watch you know run do whatever you do to get first down yardage etc but you cannot replace a quarterback that can stand in a pocket and can slice apart a defense with his arm because at the end of the day that's what a QB's job is to do the running you have a run game and if you can use those QB weapons that can run effectively that's great but Russell Wilson's the best mobile QB because he's a great passer of the ball first and then uses the run you know the other guys have shorter lifespans in the league and you know look at Cam Newton for instance like he's not pulling up trees anymore or anything like that his window was real small cuz the game he plays in the same way you lose a Drew Brees and you try and replace him with a guy that can't slice and dice like that in Jameis Winston a guy that is likely to try and be more mobile than Drew Brees was or you put in a Taysom Hill who we've seen can't stand in a pocket and throw a decent enough ball to lead a team in a in a similar fashion as an out and out, he threw some nice ones at the weekend. But he oh, also, he gonna, yeah, he he did, but that was against a hurting Denver team. This yeah, is the true. thing, like, this is the thing. I'm not knocking Taysom. He can sling it, but to Ali's point, he can't. He's not. That's why Jameis is better here, and mm-hmm. Teddy was better mm-hmm. here when it's time for. What he gonna do is first look, second look. Okay, let me just run. I know that's gonna work. Yeah, and that's not gonna work in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Not. I, so I just that, think without Breeze, man, there's like this. He is an irreplaceable element to an extent. You know, of any football team, he's, well, he's most that franchise good. quarterbacks are though, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So that's why I worry. Like, if you don't have him, I don't, I don't see the Saints team going to the playoffs. You know, unless it, sorry, going to the Super Bowl, unless it's like a Herculean end of season with Alvin Kamara. Which, if he does that, it still could be. If he does that, if he does that, give him, give him the MVP. As I said the other week, if he does that, give him the MVP. Give him the MVP, because he, because the first four games of the season, oh, he was the MVP. That's with Breeze. Because remember, like it's Mm -hmm. right here with Breeze. That's that's Mm -hmm. that's what's the most valuable piece. Taysom can throw it further. Jamison can definitely throw it further, but. The way Drew Brees is in the matrix out there and slicing through defenses and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I don't care if he only throwing a ball three, four yards. It's it's still the right place, I, okay, the right time. The right place, the right time, yeah. on timing. So yeah, that's that's gonna be cool. Marlon, man, I don't know how much time you got. If you've got time to run through this bit, then that would be great. If you don't, like, don't worry. If you need to get off or anything like that, totally understand. Okay. You, but um, we were talking about wide receivers this week talking okay. about you know the offensive side of the ball again and stuff um and we were talking about our like best wide receivers in the league right now like if you're looking at like who are the elite ball catchers in the nfl um so i want to start and rank them into tiers so you had tier one tier tier, tier one tier two tier three like we have covid tiers here in the uk of if you're yeah. in tier one <laughs> if you're in tier one covid's we got phases. COVID's not so bad. Like mild, medium, and extra spicy. You want you want tier one. You don't want tier three, basically. Um, but I figure we start off with Dave has written down his, uh, the other guy from the podcast has written down his receivers that would be in tier one, tier two, and tier three for us. So this will okay. be the benchmark of where we where we discuss this quickly. Uh, so Dave has tier one, Hopkins because he can do it all. Uh, Devontae Adams, uh, because he can do it all. Tyreek Hill, because he's the most likely wide receiver to be a Super Bowl MVP and can destroy a whole game, basically in a quarter like he did last weekend. Yeah. Julio Jones, because he's, in, and I quote, 
my boy. That's what Dave says uh, <laughs> as a Falcons fan. And Michael Thomas, out of respect for the last two years. In tier two, he's got Stefan Diggs because he smashed it with the new offense, um, but maybe a bit of a deep ball one-trick pony. Uh, and Justin Jefferson looks like a wide receiver one already. And Allen, which I'm presuming is Keenan Allen that he's going mm -hmm. with Keenan there. Allen, which was much better last year, but... That's because of the offense this year. He's coming all right still, though, Keenan Allen. He's uh, he's getting uh, he's getting catches in bunches. He just needs to extend and be a little deeper threat downfield, I think. And then his tier three, he's got A.J. Brown, who's the best uh, catching wide receiver, after the catch wide receiver in the NFL for him. Debo Samuel, Tyler Lockett, Mike Evans, and Terry McLaurin. Interesting, actually, Not that bad. he doesn't have the beast in uh, Seattle in his list, in DK Metcalf. Yes. And honestly, this year, I will replace the Beast with Michael Thomas. Yeah. But that but list was, in that top tier one. one was perfect until that last piece. Because Kangar Mike got hurt and is a little guardable right now. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. 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 I'm, and like I said, your fantasy ain't going to lie, man. I've been I hadn't, I'm, I've been scared to take him out because he might give you that 30 piece one game. So mm -hmm. I'm just. I'm just chilling on them. I just take my L's if it, you know. <laughs> take the but, medicine when it comes. But if I had Metcalf, do believe I'll be rolling right now. Yeah. Now, some people would like to flip. Like, my son, he feel like Tyreek Hill is the best receiver in the league. But I'm like, look, Kentrell, I understand you play the position, but I'm the master of this, man. And what I'm telling you is he is fast. But what DeAndre Hopkins is over there doing mm -hmm. is Odell times two yeah. right now. Uh, right now, what he's doing, like when he juiced, when Kyler Murray slung that thing and just put it right where he could, and he juiced three defenders. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's different. Yeah. The uh, Devonta, dad of that man is back again. <laughs> as long as Aaron Rodgers over there slinging that thing, who's also could be sliding that MVP conversation too. Possibly, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Devonte Adams, good too. Like he number two is fine for him. Tyreek Hill, I would say three. Um, he said four was he had Julio Jones Julio in there Julio. as well, which yeah, Julio, yeah, it's it's tough to top take take Julio on my top on my top four. It's like oh, really, it's, I think it's easier yeah, this year. Yeah, I think it's easier. I too. genuinely, we were saying beforehand, Calvin Ridley has been far better this year, mm. I think, than Julio Jones. So if he's the number two receiver at the moment on his own franchise, you can't be putting him up in the top top tier. That's damn. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I said we can't have the Falcons at all because they just don't show up every week. So there's no consistency. Mm. That's right. my so feeling. I would really be doing a Michael Thomas thing with Julio. You ain't lying. See, yeah. my... you respect his portfolio so much. But like if you're talking like like with music. I mean, of course, Lil Wayne and Eminem and Jay-Z and all them in my top all time, but you know, right now you gotta say young boy somewhere and that little baby, you know, you know, Drake, he's He's in both of my lists, right? So it's yeah. kind of the same thing. It has, like, I'm so glad this. you said Drake because the other two, I was like, I, I had no idea. Not, I have no idea who those two guys are. <laughs> you don't know? Oh, you don't know Young Boy and Little Baby? No, no Little Baby man. got the number one album over here. It's crazy. Oh, really? Young boy. Yeah, he, well, he had the number one hip hop album for a, a good long time. Boy, Drake reaching, huh? So y'all cool with like Drake, Lil Wayne? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Jay Z, that ring. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Th yeah. Th those those guys definitely made. Jay Z is not. It's a little bit successful, isn't he? He's done something, not not a huge amount of stuff, but 
yeah. bits and pieces. Yeah, well, shoes. Jay Z, the to me, that's the greatest rapper of all time. Uh, yeah, like, to me, it's like Jay, the like Pac, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Biggie and stuff like that. You know, Nas and Eminem. It's it's some um, like Eminem up there. Lil Wayne not up putting, there for not me. putting Mr. West in there, but. I'm so sorry, Mr. West. Mr. West is definitely in my... So here's my top five. My top five is Jay-Z. Yeah. Lil Wayne. I would probably go... After Wayne, I would probably go... Uh, I'm, I'm going to say Eminem, Kanye, and then Drake. That's my top... And my top five. No Ice Cube now, either. He's missing He's missing out some of the Cube legends. Cole, now Cube in my top ten. Um... Of course, Pac's in my top ten. Uh, well, well, Pac, Pac really is kind of like I kind of flip flop him and Pac a lot. I kind of put him in there just because, man, Pac has he is the arguably the greatest of all time, like on everybody's list. Mm-hmm. Him and Biggie, and like Jay Z is in there too. Like Jay Z is really just the consistency he came with since '96 is just insane. Like he's my favorite for sure. Yeah. Uh, but Kanye West, you know, his catalog from college dropout even to now like i even listened to sunday service i listened to oh, all really? this, like yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my homegirls alexis jones she's singing his uh sunday service choir really good cd jesus king is pretty good and you know now he's he's making secular music so he's he switched it up but his catalog like the, the production and yeah now some quiet folks like j cole in my top 10 you know i got okay. some people you know juvenile you heard me gotta hold yeah. it down for new orleans he in there you know, you got some folks that, you know. So, so uh-uh. you're saying that Michael Thomas is the Jay Z of the wide receiver world at the moment, and that you want to put him up there and keep him up there, but it's mainly on what's got on previously, rather than what's going Michael on. Michael Thomas is probably like the Kanye West on the list. Okay, it's not really as good right now, but it was great, and you have to respect that that greatness is still there. You still like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah. of course, Jarvis Landry is like in my second tier. You know, healthy. Oh, Odell really? Interesting. OBJ and Jarvis Landry make it in the second tier. Yeah, they in there. Them boys catch. Them boys, is they up there. I mean, this, this is shit this not because they're LSU alums, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down by it. In all honesty, go look at the numbers, man. Like, yeah, catches yeah. and, you know, yards and. Hey, look, fantasy doesn't lie, and Jarvis Landry has been the most frustrating fantasy player this year. He's been sat on my bench all year because I can't trust bringing him in, and then he'll have, like, one big game like he did last week. Like last week, yeah. 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 So, like, okay, my top tier, DK Metcalf, Tyreek Hill, Adams, and Hopkins. That's that's the best four. If I I could create my elite four wide receivers out of the gun, that would be the four that I'd take. Then... Say that again. Hopkins, you said Hopkins, Adams, Hill, and Metcalf. That's like the elite four. Then below that, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Stefan Diggs, and Justin Jefferson. Because JJ has played very well this year. Oh yeah, now 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 that's JJ in my top. You know, he he just just in general because I'm so close to the family. He's just my top dog. Period. Like that that story to me, y'all. Not to mess up your list for real quick. Like that's like family to me. Because okay, so Justin, so Jordan Jefferson is his older brother. Jordan Jefferson 
my red shirt senior year at LSU, my fifth year there was his freshman year, him and Patrick Peterson. Mm -hmm. Those dudes are like my little brothers, right? <laughs> so I jump into broadcasting as a young broadcaster. This is like 2015, 2014, 2015. During the high school games of the week, I covered the John Eric and Destrahan game. And I'm on wax saying that kid there got the skill set. I don't know why LSU not after him, got the skill set to play in the NFL one day. It was the routes he was running the catches. So I talked to Jordan after the game because at the time, Jordan Jefferson was coaching his little brother. He was on the team coaching at Destrahan. Oh, he was like, cool. Right? So Justin, what, one, two-star at best, gets, gets gray-shirted at LSU, Right? Ed Ogeron, i never forget, I go sit in the office with Mickey Joseph. I said, man, so what's up, Mickey? What, how your receivers looking? He went to that board. He said, oh, I got number one, number two, six, seven, 12. I'm like, wait, one and two, that's freshman and redshirt freshman. Oh, this is my best receivers, coach. I said, word? Boy, that 2018 season was lit. And Justin Jefferson was a part of both of them. So mm. I like the list, man. Shout out mm. to the Jefferson. Family. I mean, he's he's just killed it this year. Like, and oh, I knew it would happen after draft night as well. Because I, when I saw that he was going to fall, I was like, great. Let's take somebody out of that LSU team. Let's have him in Philly. Let's have a great weapon to go with. And then as soon as like it was passed on and didn't take him, it was like, he's going to end up killing this season at some point. Well, that's how it seemed with Jalen Rager not really doing as much. And obviously, he got hurt, but at the same time, I think if Justin Jefferson had gone to the Eagles, he also would have been victim of the blue tent, as yeah. all Eagles seem yeah, to be. Yeah, of course. You know, Justin Jefferson. Carson Wentz struggling too, man. That's another yeah. thing. He's just... I'm surprised at how bad he looks this year. Yeah, I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a stat at one point, I think it was in week five, I said to Ollie, where if Russell Wilson had had 30 interceptions in a row his overall passer rating still would have been higher than Carson Wentz's. Yeah. It was Come that on. bad. Yeah. It was that, obviously, Russell Wilson was playing lights out, but also it just shows how bad Carson Wentz had been. It's bad, bro. Yeah. So, Tan yeah. But y'all mentioned Tannehill earlier. He is really, like, he's really rejuvenated his career. He really has. Because he got away from Adam Gase. How many players have left Adam Gase and got better? <laughs> almost every single one of them look at Robbie Anderson at the Panthers yeah. he's having yeah. a great season no Adam Gase by him anymore it makes you wonder if maybe they need to get rid of Adam Gase in the New York as opposed to keeping hold of him my Adam Gase face <laughs> <laughs> was that good enough my eyes kind of small so it's hard to do no, 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 I, I get it he I come from it. LSU too he's another LSU coach oh really yeah he spent some time at LSU why is he so bad then I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. He's not a people person, man. That's why he had some time and not a long time. Hey, yeah, it, pays to, it. it pays to be a nice person. It really yeah. does. Yeah. It really does. But AJ Brown with Ryan Tannehill is what, like if AJ Brown could just go up another level, he's got the physical body like a DK Metcalf to be that strong and he he just had a slow starting season it felt this year and him and Tannehill have finally kind of that Tennessee offense just seems to get a little bit better every single week and it's quite like a brutal bullish offense but AJ Brown is definitely up there in my kind of top he's probably in my, my tier three of receivers this year but he is a Come fun on. he's a fun guy to watch man 
He is not quite at that Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson level this year, but he's a great guy to watch. <laughs> yeah, he, he he got all, bro. He he, he nice. Old Miss, another SEC cat. Yeah. Who isn't an SEC player at this point? <laughs> <laughs> See, that would be a whole – I wish we had enough time for that. That would be a whole nother – we'll do that next time. We'll come next talk. time. Just like SEC. We could go SEC guys dominating the NFL – but to get even deeper, the guys that are from Louisiana. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Still, oh, man. We'll do that next time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jazz. Uh, Marlon had to ditch us. Uh, yeah. It's fair enough, I guess. He's A, a family man. B, a college football championship winner. C, a Super Bowl winner. And D, you know, a media mogul down in Louisiana doing all the LSU stuff as well, doing all the and LSU also the uh, the rugby, the M and the MLR rugby, which stuff. I meant to ask him about as well. I completely there was no time to really find a to space to chat about it. That's yeah. next time. It's a weird tangent. We do need to do a rugby podcast, maybe in the off season with him at some point. Um, Absolutely. Before I forget, you can find him on uh, Twitter at Big Fave Five O Four. That's Big Fave Five O Four, and you can listen to his podcast as well which is called inside the trenches um and if you want to find that video we were talking about where he had the biggest tackle fail if you google nfl tackle fail that's what comes up it's 15 (laughs) seconds and it's worth every second of it that's so good that that comes up that's like (laughs) and i love how he leans into the claim to fame of it as well like that's me that's that that's what i did have you watched it yet ollie uh, no, I went searching for uh, it, and uh, but I oh, clicked well, you, images because uh, I was looking for the still oh, okay. image of him stretched out or something. So that didn't. Yeah, happen. that's why I started laughing halfway through. I just couldn't help myself. Let's talk about these receivers, Jazz, because there's a few things to talk about with. Uh... So let's get into this on Dave's list again. I think Dave has got it very off on quite a few of these players. So for me, I think there's two receivers at the top of this list, and I think they deserve to be there on their own. And that's Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins. The reason why I wouldn't have Tyreek Hill in that top, very top tier is the entire Kansas City offense is built around speed, which is great. But all the rest of the players around there also have speed. So you have to look at the offenses that Adams and Hopkins are in. Granted, Hopkins has got Larry Fitzgerald next to the other side of him and Christian Kirk, but it's not as if they're marquee names that are really going to scare defenses anymore. Mm. Same with Devontae Adams. He's not really got anyone else on the other side of him. It's just him and Rogers. So you've got two players there that are transcending their own offenses. And if their ball's thrown away, 95% of the time they're catching it, something like that. And with DeAndre Hopkins, ridiculous catches. And Devontae Adams, game-changing catches. So they're doing what Mike Evans has done for the past however many years until the last couple when he's had some support as well as a wide receiver. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. So to me, that's that's tier one. I think tier two for me, I didn't have Tyreek Hill straight in there. DK Metcalf as well. Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, and Mike Evans have to be in has to be in tier two. I would have had Chris Godwin around here too if he hadn't been injured and had been kind of up and down this year. And then for me, tier three would be Terry McLaurin, AJ Brown, um, Adam Thielen, Alan Robinson, because let's face facts, Alan Robinson's had a career where he's had Blake Bortles and Mitchell Trubisky as his main quarterbacks, and he still somehow puts up very good numbers. He's an awesome receiver, Alan Robinson. He really is. You give and him a really good quarterback, you put him in, say, the Kansas City system, we'd be talking about him in that tier one. What about the idea that Alan Robinson is the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL? Quite possibly. 
I also had to put Chase Claypool on tier three as well. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'll give you that. I mean, Marlon's putting... That's home team bias. Marlon's putting half the LSU team in any list that we make. So <laughs> yeah, I'll, let yeah, you, yeah. I'll let you put yeah. the Steelers players in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dave's tier three. But what's Dave putting Julio Jones at number one in tier one for? He's hardly, he's hardly played very well this year. Uh, Julio has been let down by his own high standards as well as being... Outplayed by Calvin outplayed Ridley. by Calvin Ridley. That's the trouble that you've got with Julio because if you think about the biggest threat in that pass attack for the Falcons this year, Calvin's been the biggest threat. Now Calvin probably benefits off what Julio does in the same way that DK Metcalf probably benefited from the Tyler Lockett great start to the season that he had. Yep. Um, but that's going purely on numbers. Ridley has more touchdowns. I think he has more yards as well. Um, so I would definitely put right now, and this is, we're not talking about like all time or anything like that because, uh, you know, Julio, you could put up a far higher than a tier three, but right now he is yep. in that like third level of just, he's an excellent receiver, but he's alongside your Terry McLaurin's, your Adam Thielen's this season. He's out of my tier three, if I'm honest. If you look for his whole career, yeah, 100% top tier receiver over his career. But currently right now, I don't think it makes sense my top 12 as well. I've got down here for the number of players I've got here. So at 12, I wouldn't put in my top 12. Fair. Fair. That's my feeling. And then um, I'm trying to think of the other ones that I didn't really agree with as well. Mike Evans as Debo, low as it was. Debo Samuel. Yeah, that was a weird one because... He's had like two weeks <laughs> Yeah. of really yeah. good receiver play. And I know I said like receivers right now, but I don't mean like because of the last two weeks that he's had some okay games yeah it was a very yeah. odd one that tyler lockett as well who has been that was another one to get onto. yeah i don't know why you'd have them him in tier three either because again last year he played very well this year he's been overshadowed by dk metcalf understandably so because dk metcalf has learned how to run routes mm. so he's not just a straight line if i can't run past you you block me or even get any sort of contact on me i'm not gonna be able to run past you now he's able to cut transition into his roots properly and he's making tons of separation it's just so physical yeah so, what do you make of all the stuff about uh obviously it was hyped up even more this week because of what was said before the philly game on the field um but the comparisons between he and calvin johnson because i'm you know when calvin was playing it was always calvin johnson or andre johnson like those were the two elite receivers in the nfl like and well to there's also to at that time as well okay yeah but um like for f like the physical height prowess jump and i think to was a little bit beforehand he's always just slightly in the kind of group of receivers before those two okay. whereas i put calvin and uh, andre johnson and megatron kind of in that s almost same bracket of the careers took the same time same trajectory and Do both didn't play on great teams yeah and were wasted in the cities that they ended up playing in. the lions and the texans so dk metcalf and the calvin johnson comparisons is DK at a Calvin Johnson level right now? Not yet, but I think that if he carries on as he is... Is he at a Calvin Johnson level of Calvin Johnson in his first two years of the NFL? Quite possibly, but I didn't watch enough of the NFL or enough of Calvin Johnson those years to really be able to say it for sure. You'd have seen like him I if said, he was there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But it's one of those things where I sent you before we start recording, there was an image I saw on social media of don't tell me DK Metcalf is as good as Calvin Johnson until you see this, which is a picture of the Lions, the two-yard line. All I had was the picture of Calvin Johnson lined up with two defensive backs in front of him 
because you knew what was going to happen was going to be a fade play and he was going to jump up, he was going to out-jump them and catch the ball. Mm. Even if you put three of them there, unless you had someone like a Cam Chancellor who could have matched up to him physically and also height-wise, the DBs in the picture had no hope. And that's why DK Metcalf hasn't got to yet. If he can make his physicality more obvious in the goal line situations and make it so teams have to double-team him, no matter where he is in the pitch, uh, field, sorry, then then you can have that conversation. If he carries on the productions he's having and also the impact he's having on games, fine, sure. If he takes a leap like he has done between year one and year two for year two and year three and year three and year four, yeah, absolutely. Then you have a conversation of this may be one of the best receivers to ever play the game because of his physical tools. If you can coach his catching, has is, is obviously got much better. Coach his route running, which has got much better. Make him a better run blocker as well. Again, he's done that pretty well. You have a more of a complete receiver. And if he keeps on making the leaps he has done, which is no reason why he can't, then, hey, you have an absolute beast on your hands. Yeah, wide receiver is uh, always going to be kind of hotly debated, I think, in the NFL and will be continually debated particularly when you think of like the rule changes that benefit receivers these days in terms of like players' legacies as well. That may come into the discussion a bit more when you talk about Calvin Johnson and like were was Calvin Johnson allowed to be more physical or and now will that hinder DK Metcalf because he isn't actually able to use his sight because they're calling pushing off a lot more than they used to, it feels like, as well as calling pass interference on corners a lot more. Like that See, whole I think that's the thing, though, contact isn't it? just isn't there. Pass, yeah, the defensive pass interference has got more. And if anything, the the rules are now more much again much more skewed to the offense and the receivers. It just makes you realize that a player like Jerry Rice, who put up all those numbers and all those records, that will never be touched back in that in an era where you're allowed to get basically beaten up on most plays. It puts into another perspective of how good he really was. And also, like when you watch Jerry Rice and that era of football, and then you watch when like we started getting into it, and you know I look at Brady's first Super Bowl win and you think like, oh man, the padding and stuff is so much more streamlined, you know, in in Brady against the Rams Super Bowl than it ever was for when, you know, the 49ers with Montana were winning Super Bowls. And then you look at how the padding is even more kind of streamlined and allows for even more agility. You know, it's not big block bulky anymore or as bulky anymore. And then it's like, okay, well then they're even less restricted now, so for Rice to do that in the, my shoulders are full on square blocks and be able yeah. to get his hands up like that and stuff. It's just, yeah, absolutely mind boggling. Shall we get into the bets for this week? Shall we? Let's let's do that, shall we? Uh, let's let's start with Dave um, because he's not here. Uh, ballsy one from Dave. Uh, he's taking the, the money line from the Falcons-Saints game with the Falcons to win it. He's going with the Giants plus 10 against the Seattle Seahawks expecting them to hang around a little bit in that. Uh, the Cleveland Browns plus 5 against Tennessee Titans so expecting a, a relatively close one in that one as well. He's got the Raiders to beat the Jets at minus 9 on the spread as well. Uh, so them to get a fairly decent victory over the New York Jets. I think that's a very Good one to take, to be honest. Uh, The Cincinnati Bengals at plus 11.5 against the Miami Dolphins, which is quite a generous one, I'd have thought. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's... I don't know if they're... Like I said before, I I can see the Dolphins absolutely destroying them. Yeah. Having, say, multiple defensive touchdowns and the Bengals scoring nil point. It's very difficult to, like, be positive and think that the Dolphins are going to be reliable. 
as well, though. That's, on offense. Yeah. That's the problem. It's the offense of the Dolphins. If you had it just it's just going to be the Bengals' offense against the, the uh, Dolphins' defense, yeah, I'd take that bet of minus 11.5 for yeah. the Dolphins because I think they'd get at least two pick sixes Yeah, over a whole game. And then Dave's got minus 3.5 the Colts against the Houston Texans, giving him a 69.62 to 1. Just bold, punchy. I like it. What have you got, I Jess? like it too. I mean, I've got something very similar. So I've also got the Falcons to beat the Saints because I bet on them a couple of weeks ago to do it. And I believed then, and I'm going to keep the belief now. I've got the Cardinals to beat the Rams because I just, who knows who the Rams are? Oh, every week. That's why the Rams going to win, they're going to lose. That's why I Who didn't, knows? didn't want to touch that, but yeah. I just think the Cardinals will do it. Um, they've got the Colts minus 3.5 against the Texans like Dave did. I've got the Titans minus 5.5 against the Browns because I see the Browns getting run all over and they're going to stop Chubb and Hunt this week. Oh, um, I can see the Packers beating the Eagles by minus 8.5 because I don't really see the Eagles hanging around in that game. Really? Barring That's... like a Seahawks game. So weird. A last minute Hail Mary. Don't think that the Eagles are going to get their first win in, what, five weeks? But it's one of those teams, though, with the Eagles, as you were well aware, that they might just do that. Well, you know, they but went I... to Lambeau last year when they looked pretty rough to start the season and then had a big Thursday night football win. So, yeah. so you never know. And then I've also got the Raiders minus nine, the team that ruined my bet last week. I've gone back to the well. and I'm hoping this time the water's clean. Fair. What have you got on the odds for that? Then I've got... 172.5 to 1. Nice. Well, I, like you and Dave, am also going with the Atlanta Falcons. So we basically are all hinging our bets on Atlanta. Good so, job we didn't tell us to Marlon, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Better stay very <laughs> quiet. Also, the other thing is like uh, divisional rivalries just show kind of how difficult they are. You know, the Ravens sticking around so much in the Steelers game. In yeah, part, that's... a lot of people think not just because the Steelers play down to teams, but also the Ravens coaching staff know the Steelers and know Ben Roethlisberger and know how to... Yeah, so it's... Yeah, but I'm going with the Falcons. drops in that game anyway. Carry on. Falcons over the Saints. Uh, I'm taking the Lions over the Chicago Bears because I don't trust the Bears. That's a coin flip, that game, isn't it? It's kind of coin flip, I think the spread's like plus one and minus one as well. Oh, really? I didn't look at the spread on that. It's very tight. Like the Chargers games are very tight as well. Ah, talking of which, I'm taking the LA Chargers over oh, the New England Patriots. Of course you Patriots. are. I consider doing it too. They're, <laughs> they're one-point underdogs against the Washington football team. Thanks for a beautiful segue into that. I'm taking the Colts over the Texans as well in a divisional yeah. matchup, so that means it's all out the window. Yeah, but Texans without Will Fuller. That's the reason why I think that Colts minus three and a half is actually a really good bet. Okay. Because the Texans have lost their number one receiver, mm-hmm. and they didn't look great against the Lions. The Lions are awful. No, but then they have played what the last three weeks or so again like Watson's been okay admittedly with Fuller obviously there as a as a useful asset Duke Johnson has been quite good actually coming out of the backfield uh, in the last couple of weeks I don't know the the Texans are a team that I still think are going to spoil a lot of parties so I imagine them spoiling my bet this week uh and I am taking the Raiders over the New York Jets like any sensible person and I too am taking the Cardinals over the Rams so I've got like for that I've got like three coin flips in uh, in my bet. It gives me 50 to one, basically 49.7 to one. So we're all playing for decent money. We're all yeah. relatively similar in our in our thought process. Our thoughts. And we're all going to be probably very disappointed 
when it or comes we could to... all be very happy. No, we won't all be very happy because no. some of my bets are the opposite to Dave's. Yeah, so someone. I'd like be... it if I'm very happy and Dave's not. I mean, and that's, next time Dave's that's on Crimea, just your motto for life. That'd be nice. It? I mean, I'm happy that I've got sixty pounds of him already this this year from those three twenty pound bets. Oh yeah, that he was so confident on. They've all failed him. He completely. was very drunk when he made those bets. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Didn't he make those during the Super Bowl? Oh, when he was drinking, no, no, no. It was, or was, was it ju- the draft when he was during drinking? It was something like the draft, or we did it. Didn't we do it on a podcast? No, he he we, he made those bets over WhatsApp with you because he, he was so drunk. He asked me to type them into my notes on my oh, yeah. phone so that they would be remembered, even though he was typing them into WhatsApp. Yeah, well, you can't use diminished responsibility. Uh, being a man of his word as well, he's obviously gonna he's gonna cough up the dough because well, all three of those bets have already won for me. So I was gonna say, and yeah. they did around week six. So <laughs> it's over. It's, over. it's definitely over. Big thanks again to Marlon Favourite for joining us on the podcast at BigFave504 on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, Inside the Trenches, as I say, is his podcast. Catch him as well on the pregame and postgame shows uh, all about LSU. Uh, big thanks to Jazz, as always, for joining me at Jazz Gillum on Twitter and on Instagram. That's at Jazz Gillum on Twitter and Instagram. Please like, subscribe, leave us a comment. Reach out to us in any way, shape, or form that you want to. Not said that for a few weeks. Uh, either via subscribing on Anchor.fm or iTunes or TuneIn or Spotify or Google Podcasts or any of the good podcasting outlets that you can find us. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Return the Picks at Return the Picks, all one word, all lowercase. Follow myself O underscore J underscore Wilson on Twitter and Instagram at David Bluck on Instagram and at David Bluck one on twitter uh we'll be back next week uh, apologies for no thanksgiving show we tried something different on thanksgiving it didn't work we'll be back we keep we'll keep plugging away uh we've missed one week this season so far it, let's call thanksgiving our bye week so we could eat feast and enjoy the football and that's what we're going to do this week as well until next time take care.